Welcome back to the Enterprise Thought Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bond, founder of techpros.io. This episode is part two of our series on AI in media and entertainment, following the first episode featuring Issa Goksu of Globant. If you haven't already, I highly recommend going back and listening to episode one. In today's episode, I speak with Issa's colleague, JJ Lopez-Murphy, who is head of AI at Globant. It includes clips from his interview with Angelos Okonopoulos, data science and analytics director at Global, Europe's largest radio production company. A quick reminder, our sponsor Globant are experts in AI, helping companies modernize and enhance productivity. Their specialized division, Globant X, is dedicated to developing bespoke AI solutions. They have over 30,000 employees and deep experience in the media and entertainment sector. Today's discussion follows a recent techpros.io challenge forum roundtable event that Globant sponsored in London titled From Vision to Execution, Charting the AI Roadmap in Media and Entertainment, where we discussed leveraging AI to unlock creative potential in media with a focus on accelerating production in an increasingly competitive landscape. In this episode, we discuss aligning AI with strategic business goals and go deeper into integrating AI into creative workflows and considerations around privacy, legality, and of course, ethics. JJ for short, I'm head of AI, which means that I look over to how we design or implement algorithms, how we build the solutions to uh, whatever the business is trying to do, leveraging AI technologies, and also internally, how uh, what do we need to learn, how we train our people, what are the career path and things like that. And also there's always a component of kind of spreading the word around, well, this is how you understand AI, this is what you can do. So it's not only in the sense of reaching out to customers, but it's also in the sense of reaching out to the community to trying to be that connecting link between whatever's happening at the top end of the technology and what it's affecting our daily lives. So you interviewed Angelos Okonopoulos. Before we get into your uh, interview with with Angelus, perhaps you could just give us a high level view from your perspective on the roundtable topic. So leveraging AI to unlock creative potential in media. Just give us a few initial thoughts on this uh, this topic. It's one of those things that you can just try to rush ahead and say, oh yeah, uh, generative AI creates things and you're trying to do creative work. And so it's just a match and they just go together or you're replacing the creative work. And I think that can work. It's like a kind of POC, you're trying it out and you're just starting to build something. You will feel like, yeah, there's potential. But then when you try to implement that into the actual business is when you see the complexities that we have been discussing, like the ethical components, the things around um, how do you actually leverage your talent instead of trying to replace it and then become a bland kind of uh, producing nothing that really stands out or you're offending them or you're getting into kind of legal issues around the copyright or creativity. So there's an incredible amount of potential, but you need to think carefully around how you actually mix that. Angelos Oikonopoulos is the Commercial Data Science and Analytics Director at Global, leading a team leveraging data to drive growth and innovation. With a PhD from Technical University of Crete and over 15 years experience spearheading analytics and revenue management initiatives, Angelos is renowned for employing advanced analytics to deliver strategic decision-making capabilities across complex organizations. His current focus areas include pricing, new product development, and mentoring data professionals. 
Can you expand a little bit more on the types of data you think could be captured upstream uh, kind of to provide those useful insights or what kind of metrics would be most valuable? It was a question around how can we start analyzing some data early on to be able to influence the content creation and how that would look like. And then we discussed about different metrics that would be useful. So it's interesting, right? I, I as we discussed, my background is, is more on traditional machine learning techniques. I like this idea of hybrid between what Gen AI can start producing with the influence of the content creation, uh, creation people, but also the idea of, of how do you optimize it towards what do you optimize it, right? As we know, Gen AI is not trying to optimize anything that is that is around some sort of objective. Its objective is can I just make things look as real as possible? That's that's basically what it is, right? But that is that, that's useful in its own right. So here what we're saying is if we have this content of how do I inform my content creators to make better content, then I think you're adding a layer which Gen AI alone would not have the guidance. What is better, right? So here it gets us to these two questions. What are the data we need to gather to be able to inform initially, let's say, an individual, a, a, a content professional about what they would do? That would be data that would be interesting for someone 20 years ago. Right. Um, and then, you know, how do we influence the Gen AI algorithm such that it can start helping those people into creating content or helping them create content as a starting point that optimizes to an objective? And I think that's where we now have a more clear delineation about what we mean when we're talking about upstream data and what we mean when we're talking about what other metrics would be useful to be able to capture that data. And that, that's how I think about it. So in that context, upstream data is, is basically the feedback on what is it that you want to optimize for and how do we describe that in terms of some characteristics. Now, the interesting thing here is Gen AI can actually take care of that. So back in the day when we're saying, can we figure out an algorithm that can tell us which are the best songs so that we increase dwelling time, right? Okay. Q metadata. This is a song, and Pandora has done this the best of everyone 20, 25 years ago, right? Give me metadata, lots of them, and let me try and figure out every a song. What is its 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 a kind of uh, harmonics? Uh, how how is its its dynamics? How can we measure that in terms of data points? And that's metadata. We've had that forever. Maybe now that's less important with Gen AI. The whole idea for Gen AI is. It's, it's extracting the metadata as part of the process, right? So maybe we don't care about that at this stage, although I still believe it's useful. I still mm -hmm. believe it's useful because it, it adds a layer of explainability, if you will, to humans about what AI is trying to do. Hmm. But for me, the most important thing is the feedback point. So if you want to optimize on dwell time, how do you start informing back that this content that is now in practice, these are the different metrics of dwell time, of number of people who listen to it, of um, of um, you know listen through rate, or all these different things. And now you start saying, I want to start optimizing my content, and the content I've already taken out performs somehow into these metrics. And as I get more content, you know how do we how do I start gathering that information by way of 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 the real metrics to the digital or by surveys or whatever method people want to, to utilize. And that, that now is a very nice linking between how you should generate your content and start 
creating iterations of the content, but start measuring to those kind of, of metrics, if you will. How do you make sure that those KPIs are aligned to your um, vision as a company, your purpose as a company? Because I don't know, social networks in particular, they they had quite a, a, a bit of discussion around whether it's legitimate for them to optimize for engagement or for time spent or for, for whatever, because that can degenerate into just anger and anxiety and whatever. But also in terms of business, like um, making sure that it's the type of content that they can resell, that they can advertise on, that they can do a lot of other things which might not even be on the same road. So how do you typically analyze or understand what KPIs are actually good kind of north metrics for that? At the end of the day, it's about what are the business objectives. And and and, and that's what needs to drive it. And it, it depends on the nature of your organization. Uh, every organization has a purpose statement, some of them because they really mean it, some of them because if they don't, they're just they're not in the direction of travel where businesses are going, right? So I think... I think it's an interesting point, and the ethics are also interesting, but it really depends on what are you trying to achieve. So, for example, if you want to start doing content creation for an ad, there's a clear there's a clear objective that the ad needs to be persuasive. Yeah. And so what does that mean? You know, when we discuss with our advertisers about content that they want to put in their advertising is, okay, you are client X, and client X and your brand and your purpose as a brand is to be able to be positive, to be able to be family, to be able to do all these kind of things. So now immediately for that specific creative, we can have some sort of questions. Does it give you that feeling of, of serenade? Does it, does it make you anxious? Does it? But here you're not optimizing for a business objective, you're optimizing for the content objective. And then there's the leather, the other day, okay, what is the business objective through those little initiatives? And for us is to be able, let's say, when it comes to content creations, to convince our advertisers that the content we are suggesting them that they go with will deliver the best possible results when heard in a base audience, right? Now, that's a metric. Um, Someone else will say, the content that I'm putting out there, let's say I'm a newspaper, I'm not putting content because I want to sell advertisement. I want people to click on it. I want people to engage with it because then I can sell the audience to my advertiser, for example, rather than the actual creative. Mm -hmm. Great. So now your objectives are different. You're not, your objectives are a bit more quantifiable, if you will. And that's how I tend to think of the things, the different layers of decision-making that you need to make when it comes to a content, and therefore the different metrics that will drive those. What you need to have is a very clear communication between the content creators, the people who help you build those algorithms, and business about what is it that we're trying to achieve and how all these different pieces come together. And the other thing that we discussed, like it's layers and sometimes it's nested objectives that we need to start thinking about. Right. And you touched on a very important matter on the layers or kind of different parts of the process in deciding, because I can think of deciding what type of content to create, when to use it, what's the, the specific content inside that, how to understand the metrics, because even though, as you mentioned, with the more sophisticated AI methods, maybe the metadata can be extracted in part of the content. What about the contextual metadata around who's consuming that and why they're doing that? In what context was it shown? And a lot of other things that, yeah, we can hallucinate with some LLMs, but they're missing parts there. Or how we help our creatives to find the unknown unknowns, like what are the creative spaces that they have not explored yet 
still aligned to kind of the values of this company, but they haven't really uh, developed into. Any particular recommendation there? Because metrics can also work as a, as a kind of uh, tunnel vision. If there is clarity on one or two things that as a business you want to achieve with your content creation and, and how it actually fits into your business model, start with that. Start gathering information around that mm-hmm. and then add the next layer and the next layer. We start in these kind of known unknowns, you can end up creating so many different paths you can go into that you end up not being able to do one step towards a direction. And you, I've seen so many projects. You're talking about metadata, right? We, we are in, in, into a process about how we enhance our metadata process. And we are into this project about how do we help our content creators tag our content so that we know that it's about X, Y, Z. You would be amazed that actually takes more than three months for us to even get an MVP of what that tagging system looks like. And when I asked the question to our tech guys, guys, why, why, why is it taking so much time? He said, Agilos, it's so difficult as a problem. How can you take every possible word of the English language and put them in specific categories? The question is, why on earth would you want to do that? Why are you trying to figure out the best possible solution to categorize every possible word of the English language to a taxonomy? Start with 100 words. Put this in taxonomy. Put them into practice, learn, and iterate. And that's how I think about these things. There's so many dimensions you can start looking into, but I'm pretty sure there is clarity on two or three. Do something about those and then see what's the next step, what's the next opportunity. And I'm not trying to to avoid the answer at all, but it's so many things that we cannot cover in 13 minutes. And I don't think anyone in a business even has clarity about what all these things might be. And you end up not taking the first step because you have a variety of steps you are afraid you haven't thought about. A lot of budget owners don't want to take intermediate steps. They want to say, oh, I have this amount of money, I have this amount of time, and this needs to work. How do you handle that when you have this sort of unknowables around, well, what are the actual classes that you want to classify things? What are the actual KPIs? What are the actual data you will be generating? If you have an organization that thinks right now I have X budget and I want with that X budget to solve this problem that apparently is very well defined, budgeting is an interesting thing, right? We budget every year. And so, okay, if this is your budget now, what can we make? What is the best? What is the quickest path to the best possible result without budget? And let's let's put it quickly out then and let's start gathering benefits. And then next year, Let's rebudget. Let's say, okay, now that we've seen what we can do with that bit, with that definition of a problem, what is the next level? Let's assume the ideal state where we have access to the data, where we can capture it, where when it's meaningful, whatever definition of that is. But a lot of the listeners might not have kind of specific idea around, well, how can I actually use that to tweak kind of the content performance? Is it about choosing the audience? Is it about choosing among a library? Is it about uh, choosing components and the generation. What are some examples or ideas that you have around this uh, leveraging real-time data to tweak the content performance? When we're talking about content creation and we're talking about real-time data information for content creation, it's interesting to think, what do we really mean? Right. Do we mean that we're going to have real-time data that now an algorithm is going to change how the show is going to end? 
Is it, do you know what I mean? Like, is it is it, is it <laughs> that level? Are we going to say, as as we progress with 24 hours a series, do we get real-time data and see if Jack Bauer is actually going to win? Or, yeah. <laughs> or if he's going to fly a helicopter? Or is it better if he gets an airplane? What is working best for our audience? So real-time data, it's only useful if it's affecting real-time decision-making. If it doesn't, then, then you better get data that are helping you at the decision you're going to make at the time you're going to make. Real-time data can be useful for real-time decision-making or real-time content creation when that is appropriate. And you should put efforts into supercharging your data pipelines and processes and algorithms to do so. But you should, re and these are expensive experiments. You should really be asking yourself, what do I mean by real-time data? Yeah. And, and from there, you know, you have options. Angelus talked about the hybrid AI uh, point around hybrid AI for enhanced content creation. Uh, he spoke about the importance of feedback for yeah. optimizing content. He also touched on KPIs and uh, identifying relevant metrics for business yeah. objectives and also using real-time data for uh, content adjustment. JJ, how do you envision the ideal feedback mechanism between AI-driven analytics and content creators for optimizing media content? And pretty much aligned with the, the, the vision that Angelos has around focusing on what you're trying to achieve on the business and then going back into how that enriches your pipeline for creating the content. So the, the, the thing is, you could try to use, you could be trying to use an AI model to generate an image or generate a script, but that has uh, just so much leverage. It goes up to a certain point. The thing you want to get from analytics, the thing you want to get that, that feedback is around what type of content is working. When is it working? Like a lot of the things that you don't need that generative AI part, but rather the more traditional AI, still talking about traditional AI feels weird, but thing is when we're talking about more traditional metrics and business intelligence and KPIs and, and A-B tests and things like that to really figure out what is the type of content that works and how it matches with the, the users or the target audience that you're uh, focusing on. And from there, start to build uh, on, on top of that. Then you can get into the generative AI part to say, well, how do you help uh, people to ideate um, new things that they want to try? How do you help them cover blind spots that they might have in terms of how they're thinking around a campaign or a piece of content? How can you provide drafts to inspire them? How can you work in a collaborative manner between the creative people and, and, and the, the people building the content and these algorithms so that you get actually the best of both worlds. But the feedback has to happen aligned to your specific business. So let's say that we've seen the, the YouTube kind of thumbnails all turn into people being surprised or with weird faces. And that is because they click uh, and people click on that. And I don't know, YouTubers have discovered that. So you have that type of feedback. Now, the thing is, does it work for your brand to have like people in shocking surprise faces or does it devalue the type of uh, solemnity of your type of channel or the friendliness for the family of the content you're trying to do? So yeah, that content works. That content creates clicks. Does it enhance your value as a brand? And, and that's when the feedback needs to start getting very granular because clicks work, uh, seeing it through works, but what about it is actually the thing that is working. And it's one of the things that we do a lot of A-B tests to actually try to weed out, which is 
is it the format? Is it the editing? Is it the type of sound? Is it the type of content? Is it what is discussed in the content? Is it the tone? Is it maybe the dynamic of, I don't know, you know, uh, we're on a podcast now. Is it the dynamic of that that is what's uh, kind of engaging people? That is the feedback that you want that requires building a set of analytic tools that can get into the content and not only the metadata. And that is when you're starting to get that feedback of saying, well, you know what? the type of palette you're using does not really mix with the products you're uh, kind of trying to leverage or it does not sit well with your audience or the, the kind of volume, the kind of prosody, the kind of, I don't know, music in the background, something else that's triggering or not that reaction that you are trying to achieve. Um, and so that is the, the the sweet spot. Yes, you need a lot of the traditional feedback mechanism based on metadata, but then you want to be able to analyze, well, what about it is it that is driving that difference? Because you want to inform the creative uh, around how to help them shape the piece that they are producing. So if we talk about Globant's approach to you know, this challenge, how does Globant design and implement AI systems uh, that provide effective, actionable feedback for creators, JJ? And you know, can you share any examples of success stories in this area? Right. Uh, yeah, so I would say that the the core thing is that you're trying to help somebody make a business decision. Uh, that might seem a little banal or it doesn't have a lot of depth, but let me elaborate a little bit. In the context of a business, you're producing a content that is because you're trying to reach out a new customer, you're trying to re-engage some um, consumer that you have, you're trying to um, entertain your audience or something in the middle of all of that. And to do so, we are trying to choose, well, I have this number of pieces of content, which one should I use for this specific person? You're trying to target your offerings there. That's one of those kind of business decisions that you're trying to uh, define, and then you can use AI. Or you're trying to say, well, should this type of graphic be more photorealistic? Should it be a cartoon? Should it be more artistic? Should it be more abstract? You're trying to get information to be able to do your job. You're not still kind of going all the way and having all, all automated maybe, but you're trying to gather information that will ease the way in which you're making that decision. And that is when the AI solution comes in, not because it's an AI solution, but rather because it's a solution to your decision problem that leverages AI to give you these different capabilities. And so thinking around this idea of the decision-making and the digital product and going back into, well, now I can plug these powerful mechanisms is how we build that. And that enables us to actually think of the user first. And in this case, the user might be the content producer, might be the director of media for the company, might be the person deciding which pieces of content go within each channel. And that means that the application itself will be very different. And that is kind of one of the differentiating factors of how we approach this, which is that we're thinking about the specific person in their context and not just, well, yes, I can use Midjourney and plug it in somewhere where it doesn't really belong or say, well, just ask ChatGPT and people kind of get bland responses. It, it is about that context around who is using it for what, and then let's use whatever tool it gets the, the, the best results. In terms of how that goes into specific projects, it goes into, there are many components, I would say, because the solution is more than just an algorithm, uh, and, and you clearly say it's an AI system, 
It might be about a recommender for the pieces of content that you already have. It might be an algorithm around how to extract data or new metadata from the content you already have to be able to classify that, to be able to feed that into another system, another algorithm. Or it can be about what to pay attention to in terms of, as we were discussing, what has been working, when, where, for whom, and build from there. And the, the way this turns out to be in a project could be sometimes it's a dashboard where you're actually seeing kind of the contents and what has worked. I'm not naming any clients or anything else so I don't get into trouble. Uh, but sometimes it's a dashboard when you're prioritizing the relevance or or helping the, the producer understand what's going on. Sometimes it works even like, uh, you know, the asset stores that engines like Unity have where you can be building things for the creatives or the producers or the programmers to be using within their, their projects or a metaverse or something like that. Or it could be fully embedded within your, let's say, digital marketing pipeline. And so when you're trying to reach out to clients, then you have the tools there. Then you might be auto-generating some part of the message or you might be generating the, the set of assets that will be used through the campaign. And then that gets embedded within the system that you already have. I don't want to prioritize any specific brand, but it works within the, the pipeline you already have in place. The way you are working, instead of taking you out to another tool, is going to work better. And that is kind of the, the, the way to link it back. The way Blowment can help is that by the way we're structured, for, uh, we have what we call studios that are the centers of expertise for specific or technologies or techniques or domains. And so we would have something like the combination between our media and entertainment uh, reinvention studio, which is now that we have technology, how does it, ch it change the landscape of the industry itself? And what are the things that companies are, are focusing on with the A studio around how we leverage these types of technologies and that expertise to get the most value out of that? And from the combination of those two, what we found out is that identifying the right use case is in many times the most critical part. We do need to have the technical skill and capabilities to actually deliver on what we're trying to do, but identifying those use cases in the context of the user is going to be the critical part. And maybe having that visibility about what's going on within the domain of media entertainment is not as easy to do if you're only looking at it through the lens of technology. But if you're only looking at it through the lens of the domain, maybe you're missing on a lot of things that happen on other domains, like, I don't know, on gaming, on automotives, on pharma, on whatever else, that have these tools that are becoming available, and then you can start to cross-pollinate with that. And so that is why it, it has such a kind of sweet spot of combining these two worlds. Globant is offering media and entertainment organizations, I understand, a complementary workshop to help them address you know, some of these evolving, um, I guess, opportunities within their, within their industry. Could you just share a little bit with me, JJ, about how you would run a session such as that, uh, perhaps in terms of structure, you know, any planning that might be needed in advance, uh, you know, what these sessions might look like? what the sort of value that organizations will experience as a result of, of Globant assisting them? I would say that it's the, the full package in the sense that we can start working on, for instance, understanding the potential of uh, adapting things like AI to their business. Many times with our clients, a key issue is on having this grounded idea, this grounded understanding around how to apply technology, how the company needs to transform. And sometimes the path forward has to do with that, let's say, strategic going down the path of them transforming themselves with AI. 
But that's kind of very long term. It's very murky, very hard to measure in a specific API. I mean, yes, there are things you can measure, but being transformed is more about how the company changed. Then you have the more specific type of engagements where you're saying, what we're going to do is identify the set of most relevant use cases, being able to prioritize them, build a roadmap, size them, understand, well, yeah, this I can implement in two weeks, this in six months, this might take two years, it's way too long and technology will change in the middle. And for this and this, the priorities is gonna be um, the data platform, or I might need the new front end, or uh, this is how I need to integrate the workflow. And once companies have that, they can actually turn around and say, well, do I have the resources? Are those strategic for me? Do I want to build them in-house? Do I want to buy something that's already done? And we can help with that as well. And, and understanding what is the best path forward to getting there. And once we, we have that, the, let's say, initial roadmap, we can start spinning out the specific projects to uh, go and start delivering them. Because what we believe in the end is that any sort of AI transformation, AI adoption needs to happen both uh, top down and bottom up in the sense that top down, the business will enable the, the people within the business to leverage these technologies. But it's when people actually adopt them that the company changes. And so the only way to see that is when you're giving these tools to your collaborators they are using them, you're getting feedback, and then you're iterating on top of that. That's why typically the kind of big bang approaches of the past of let's just do 25 things at the same time and they don't really click. Uh, it's, it's better to go step by step and have, I don't know, maybe some department uh, started using this tool to create or assist them in creating these visual assets. And then the next department is going to say, hey, I want something like that, but for me, but I needed to do X, Y, and Z. And then you've got a pull from the users within the business, and that is where you want to go. Talk to us a bit more about some of the um, implementation strategies that Globant can help with above and beyond the strategic piece. In terms of, for instance, uh, these, this newer breed of generative AI models, there's a whole uh, range of different possibilities. You may want to leverage uh, something that's already there, like the, the things like Midjourney or things that are easy to consume, but you don't have a lot of control. That's fast for iterating, but then you might get into problems around how to differentiate your output from a competitor or copyright issues or using proprietary assets and things like that. Or you can go all the way to, I want to train from scratch with only my assets, and then you get something that you fully own and nobody else can replicate. But that takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of complexity. It can be done. We can do it. Uh, it needs to be very specific. Uh, we need to be very specific around the value you're getting from there. Because otherwise, there are solutions in the middle. So like you can start from an open source model, fine tune that, and then you get something that you own, you run, you execute, produces uh, assets for you. You never have leaked your own private data to anyone, but still you leverage that open source capabilities like with um, stable diffusions and that type of model. You have the fireflies from Adobe and, and, and now Meta has released or, or at least is releasing in stages their generative model and they have different kind of copyright schemas and things like that. But all of that can be done. We can either train it from scratch, fine tune or help you do the prompt engineering for the ready-made model. That's part of the, I mean, that depends on the strategic decision of the model of whether they wanna build, own, run it, uh, maintain and everything else. But then you have the other layer, which is 
let's assume that that's been solved. It's going to be an API for the business because some some other area has solved that. How do I integrate that into my current workflows, into my tools, into the way that I work? How do I uh, give that feedback to the users? Because maybe they're working on a given um, program or web environment, something like that. And what we can do is uh, develop the plugin so that they can leverage that type of model within whatever workflow they're using at the moment. And having that integration so that their workplace, their workspace does not change, it's immensely valuable because that drives a lot of adoption. And that might seem more of a, a, an integration or a web development or a core application development uh, process, but that's why we're talking about a solution to the business problem or the decision problem that leverages AI technologies and not just pushing an algorithm. What, what questions need to be asked or answers need to be sought around the whole privacy and legality piece? There are lawsuits going around in the world and it's uh, precedents are being created or arguments are being thrown out and it's still evolving, still in flux. What we have seen is that if during the creation process you still have significant human input, it's still possible for companies to protect the output. That's one of the, let's say, main sore points around, well, can I copyright that? And the line of thinking seems to be that a simple prompt, like if my description of what I'm trying to get from this uh, uh, generator is like a line or two, then there hasn't been sufficient human input as to say that it's copyrightable. But if in the process I'm taking that output and then I add a lot of value on top of that, then yes, I am, because it would be similar to doing a work out of remixing assets that I have. And so there's a lot of editorial process there, there's a lot of human input, and I can leverage those materials. That's the, the safer way. And especially if the output of those models is the input or it's material that the creative or the knowledge person uses or consumes as part of the work instead of it being just the output directly into the final end consumer. That's, that seems to be the, the direction in which it's safest to use it. And, and the, the way we're proposing projects has to do with that, how you leverage and how you augment your creative people rather than trying to sidestep with something that's connected directly yeah. to the final user. Yeah, yeah. No. And on the legality side, the main concern there is whether uh, the usage of uh, information that's available online consists of fair use or whether uh, you're actually uh, infringing copyright because the, some piece of work has the copyright and you're learning from that, and whether learning in the sense of AI is actually memorizing or replicating, or whether it's really generalizing or something like that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be solved for a long yeah. time because even at the uh, university level, at the, the research level, that is really not clear. Yeah. But in the past... If data was online and you could access it freely, then you get at most a terms of service violation, but not a copyright violation. Yes. And so the type of data sets that these models are using are starting to get curated and cleaned up so that they don't get into this type of issues as they did in the past. And so they will sidestep that problem. And that's what uh, actually Adobe did with Firefly in terms of be, making sure that they were training that with things that they had a license to. Yes. Or uh, now I think Getty Images uh, made an agreement with a company, I don't remember the name, for being able to use their um, images legally to train the models. 
So it, it's part of the process of how companies are trying to understand what's going on and what are the possible things in the space. But it seems like those two are the, the, the lines to kind of have the safe space, making sure that you're not violating terms of services, making sure that you're not replicating any uh, training data point, and making sure that the output is being used by your creative people to produce the content and not as a final output. Very good. And that, that, that's very much around the legal, but what are your views very quickly on, on privacy? Because if a lot of proprietary information and content is being pushed into large language model, there is risk, although it's unclear, that other users of that large language model could yeah. effectively access that content, right? Yeah, that that all has to do with how it's set up in terms of cloud enterprise agreement or uh, configuration of the accounts. Like, for instance, the, the first round of scare around ChatGPT kind of leaking the prompts that other users were using was on the web version, which doesn't have that guarantee. But if you have an enterprise agreement or you're consuming through a, a cloud vendor like Azure or GCP or something like that, you can actually have that as a secure way of going back and forth. Interesting. Uh, as, as they do with any other data that you have in your cloud. I mean, companies are trusting the cloud environments for their private data. The only thing they want is any kind of guarantee that the model is not being trained further on their own data. But you can always go the fully open source route and you run it on your own hardware. And so nobody else has any access to that anytime. So I don't know if you're running, let's say, a Llama 2 version, which is open source for LEMS or Mistral or something like that, and you're running that on your computer, it never went anywhere. So it, it cannot be leaked because nobody trained your the model any further because they never had access to your data. And that is a way to kind of safeguard that for many critical applications. That is going to be the only way that is likely going to be legal. But the, those models are normally not as powerful as the GPT-4s or Gemini, as was presented a couple of days ago, or, or that type of competitors. So thank you for joining our insightful discussion with JJ Lopez-Murphy from Globant and Angelos Okonopoulos from Global. Today's episode provided an in-depth look at AI's role in enhancing creativity and strategic business transformation in the media sector. JJ and Angelos highlighted how AI, when integrated with human creativity and strategic planning, can open new avenues for innovation and growth. Our key takeaways include the importance of aligning AI with business goals, the integration of AI into creative workflows for impactful results, and the necessity of addressing privacy, legality, and ethical considerations in AI deployment. For more information on how Globant can guide your organization on its AI journey, including the opportunity for a workshop with our experts, please follow the links in the show notes. And if you missed our previous episode with Issa Goksu of Globant, be sure to catch up for additional insights into AI in media and entertainment. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to the next episode. Speak to you soon.